Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to you, face, not say it to you now. I will go to Anfield and we'll see them all. With what you're doing down here, you're surely mad. <laughs> We're glad you could join us for second captain's football at the Irish Times. Oh, McDevitt here with Ken Early. Uh, Owen, hello, how are you doing? Ah, not too bad. And Kieran Murphy. Hello, Liam. Lovely to be back from holidays and back in studio with you two. Fine gentlemen, certainly better than arriving back to the house after a late night flight to find that these spiders appear to have taken up permanent residence. The house is theirs now, Ken. They've always been there, Owen. Oh, I know they've been there. I've seen them. Mm-hmm. I've just never left them alone for such a concerted period and come back to find <laughs> the house looking All like... All eight of their legs firmly ensconced underneath the kitchen table. Oh, yeah. It, right. You say eight legs, I'd say I probably saw... 32 legs last night, Murph. No, good knowledge of the uh, that, uh, eight be, times that, tables there. That'd be four, that'd <laughs> yeah. be four spiders. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't bite, bite off any more than you could chew there. You know, I don't think more than eight by 13 four. spiders. Well, no, I was just telling you how many spiders I saw. A couple of, couple okay. of, couple of big ones, a couple of little ones. Yeah. What do I do? Just, I suppose, live in peace with them. They're, they're uh, harmless creatures. So they uh, eat um, more annoying insects. Yeah. Uh, Listen, you've they're not themselves insects, of course. Yeah, the, the 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 insects have or arrived. So now you have you basically have a, a a pet a couple of pet spiders to ensure that the the ant infestation mm. that is obviously imminent doesn't sure. actually materialize. So I think really you should, you welcome welcome your eight like uh, the, the ecology of your. I mean, I think the apex predators. Is back in town now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Things have been out of balance, but maybe things are about to change back. Of even more relevance to our football show listeners, maybe the news that Louis van Gaal has been confirmed as Manchester United manager, Ken. And Mm. Ryan Giggs has accepted that his playing career is over. We never (laughs) thought we'd see the day. The last horse crosses the finish line. Ryan Giggs hangs up his boots uh, long after everybody else had stopped being able to make eye contact with him. 
when, when he tried. Look, it's great. It's been a great career. You know, it was a re, it was a one of the greatest career in the history of English football. No, uh, a long way from that. Uh, one of the longest, yes. Uh, Who's but, had a better? Oh, go on then. Who's had a better uh, career in English football than Ron Giggs? Stanley Matthews. He's no, got, he's, got, he's got you on longevity no, as well. That's the, there, one, that's the one person who's had a longer career than Ryan Giggs. I'm going to have to ask for. Well, a he was European Football of the Year as well, Kieran. Yeah, How many okay. times has, has Ryan Giggs won the old Ballon d'Or, as they now call it? Well, it's a big fat zero, uh, Ken. But I mean, Stanley Matthews. Other than that, Ryan Giggs is second after Stanley Matthews. I no, Ken did say he's a long way down. I don't. I I, I think you underrate Ryan Giggs' playing career somewhat. I think he's, I think he's a better think, player than you, you think than you and John Giles give him credit for. By saying that he didn't have the best... No, and Roy Keane, of course. No, this consistently over the last number of years. Or did Roy Keane say there's a difference between being a great player and having a great career? Something He said something along those lines. Well, he, hasn't Roy Keane since recanted some of those comments that he made in the ITV documentary? Yeah, but he's, been, he's made more comments, don't worry, we'll get to those. Okay, we'll also talk about Van Gaal with Jonathan Wilson. I'm even more excited about the news from France that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is about to join the managerial game. In fact, being Zlatan, he's actually bypassing that role. The PSG president says that he'll become, Zlatan will become sporting director at the end of his career. Nasser Al-Khalifi says if he does that, he'll become the best sporting director in the world. I appreciate the professional that is Zlatan, the man that is Zlatan. In a quote that sounds very much like the kind of things Zlatan would say about himself, it should be stressed there. But I think we'd all like to see Zlatan get involved in the top end of the managerial slash sporting director game? Yeah, I mean, I suppose Patrick Vieira is, is, is leading the way. Um, former teammate of Zlatan's from Inter. Much more steady on-pitch influence. Well, actually, you know, Patrick Vieira ha- had many moments. Ah, uh, he was. He, he became steadier than Zlatan. He became presidential. From reading uh, Zlatan's book, he's a, lar- he's a huge amount of respect for Patrick Vieira. Yeah, he does. He loves yeah, Vieira. Everybody Vieira, loves Patrick Mourinho. Vieira. There's a few guys he loves. There's a few guys he, he loves. I saw Patrick Vieira on uh, Nelson Mandela's House, home street in Soweto in the, during the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he came. Well, I mean, I, I was there just you know to check out the old Nelson Mandela house. I mean, I don't think it's the only house Nelson Mandela lived. He lived there at some point. It's kind of the Nelson Mandela house. Isn't that on the street where? And it's. I think Nelson Mandela house is also where Rodney and Delboy live in Only Fools and Horses. I think. It's the Nelson Mandela flats, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, this is this is the actual one. It's about. And Patrick Vieira suddenly arrived, crested the hill. This immensely tall man uh, came swaggering, and he really was swaggering, I have to say, wearing a pair of mirrored shades. And uh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the whole essentially the whole street around him. He didn't he didn't have a problem with that. He didn't have a problem. A lot of a lot of the time, uh, a guy like Patrick Vieira doesn't want to have to interact with the common man, with your. Uh, average Joe on the street, but Patrick Vieira was, no, no, suffer them to come unto me. And uh, and so they did. And it looked almost as though he was being carried because he's so tall uh, as he walked and I guess went to the Nelson Mandela house, ultimately like everyone else. Arsblog's Andrew Mangan. good story, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent story. Arsblog's Andrew Mangan is going to be in studio on their FA Cup victory. It's time now, though, for Ken Early's report on sport. Well, I'll try and keep him coming after that Vieira one. <laughs> hey, I didn't give you much to work no, with. No, listen, it, it was just a very self-contained tale, you know. I know saw Patrick Vieira. Nothing really to do with my Zlatan yeah. comments, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I once saw a famous person. Uh, That's, listen, Patrick Vieira was extre- is extremely tall. That's the sort of insight, yeah. you know, you just can't buy, you know. you yeah. gotta, you got to remember that. Yeah, okay. Right, is that so a comment, maybe? 
So Atletico Madrid, Atletico Madrid are the champions of Spain. Uh, pretty amazing stuff, really. All, uh, overall, um, ferocious intensity of of effort from Atletico Madrid. It really did look as though they were going to run out of gas, but they didn't. And uh, in fact, it was Barcelona who ended up. Looking. By the way, Lionel Messi is in, has been in a sulk. Every time I see him now, he's just got this sour face on him. What's wrong with him? He's losing for the first time in his career? Not, not the first time. I mean, he lost the league in 2012. I mean, they lost the league to Real Madrid, to Mourinho in 2012. That was definitely worse than this. I mean, they were actually applauding the Atletico Madrid players. I don't think that would have happened if it had been Mourinho and Ronaldo and Pepe. Sergio Ramos winning the title at Camp Nou. You know, I don't think they would have been giving him a round of applause in that case. So this is obviously a little bit more palatable. I suppose it's just when Messi looks around him now at Barcelona, he just sees a total mess at every level of the club. You know, I mean, he sees... Although, you know, I mean, okay, they're, they're losing big players like Valdez has left, Puyol is going. Interestingly enough, actually, there was a video for Puyol put together by Barcelona. Um, it's sort of a thanks for everything. You know, like the, they they play some nice little music in the background and everybody says a few words to the camera. Mm. And they'd gone through, like, it seemed like everyone was there. You know, they'd gone, they'd even got Louis van Gaal to, to, to do a, to record a piece from wherever he was in the world. You know, uh, uh, they, they had uh, Guardiola saying, you helped us so damn much. Uh, not in English. Um, they had pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. With one exception. One exception as I was watching this video thinking, okay, I'm, I still haven't seen this person I am waiting to see. Maybe they're leaving him to the end because you know he's uh, he's his status is so high that he should he should be right there at the very end just to just to say yeah you thought I wasn't going to be in the video but here I am <laughs> thanks Puyi Cappy you know you did everything it was great to play with you for all these years but no no sign of Lionel Messi too busy to be in the uh, goodbye Puyi video video um, now apparently uh, you know there hasn't really been any evidence of. Of a bust up between them, he must have been just busy doing whatever it was, clerical work or whatever it was that uh, that occupied him. But he was in a real silk yesterday, um, not yesterday, Saturday, I should say. He should, he, he arguably could even have been sent off in the first half for a tackle from behind because he was losing his hedge. You know, Atletico kept marking him, kept tackling him. He didn't like it. Um, really, I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a, what version of you know Messi turns up in the World Cup because the mm. current one seems to be a sort of. But we're happy for Atletico. Man. Oh, yeah. Um, that's incredible. I mean, it just, Atletico's turnover is 120 million euros. Barcelona's is 480 million. And um, that's the kind, that's the scale of the advantage that they have. I mean, Neymar is sitting on the bench. Neymar cost Barcelona nearly a full year of Atletico Madrid's turnover, and he's sitting there on the bench. So it just goes to show that if you spend your money stupidly, you make stupid decisions, then ultimately it doesn't actually matter. Maybe you, your money creates problems. I mean, it was the money that created the, it was the ability. If Sandro Rosé had, been forced to work with Atletico Madrid's budget, he would not have been able to throw 100 million euros at Neymar and Neymar's dad through various back channels and ultimately put together a deal so complicated that when it came to public attention, he had to resign. Sure, but normally money does tend to it speak does. in football. It does, and that's what, that, I mean, that's what makes... Although, you know, at the same time, you can have a, a champion that becomes decadent, and that's what Barcelona are. 
you know, they're. Uh, I mean, if you look back to the last time that a team that wasn't Barcelona or Real Madrid won this league, it's been uh, Rafael Benitez's Valencia in 2004. At which time Barcelona were um, in a bad, a bad enough state, certainly for the first half of the season. And Real Madrid had that Galactico team, which was this fantastically lazy and complacent collection of superstars who didn't really even want to bother training anymore. Yeah. Um, and they managed to lose, I think, the last five games in a row in the league. And Benitez and Valencia snuck up on the on the outside and and won the title. Um, you had to you have to have the two big teams really underperforming. And the strange thing is that Real Madrid have have blown up so badly in the last couple of weeks of the season. I certainly did not see that coming. I mean, it's been by their standards quite a smooth year. Um, I guess their own super mega signing didn't quite have the desired impact either. I mean, Bale has been quite good. He scored a great goal of a C in the cup final. But, you know, he hasn't been, obviously, hasn't been a decisive influence in the in the title race. So, yeah, Atletico Madrid now have the chance to beat Real Madrid next Saturday in Lisbon, if they do. I mean, you know that there's that line in the Keen book about how I looked at some of my teammates after they'd won the treble. And they're like, we don't care if we never win another trophy. In fairness, if these Atletico Madrid players never win another trophy, they would have done enough if they beat Real Madrid on Saturday. You were over in Berlin at the weekend? Yes. German Cup final? Yeah, it was interesting to go and, and see this match. Obviously, um, uh, half of the Germany team plays for Bayern Munich. The other half plays for Borussia Dortmund, crudely. Uh, you've got these two coaching superstars, one of whom is under quite a lot of pressure. And so to see them uh, in action up close... Well, it's quite interesting. I mean, Guardiola, the thing that became obvious, I went to the, the pre-match press conference on the Friday, and the thing that became obvious is that Guardiola can't actually speak German. He can kind of speak it, but he doesn't really understand it. And so it was quite a weird press conference because it was done like with, it was both Klopp, Klopp and Sebastian Kale, the Dortmund captain, and Guardiola and Philipp Lamb all up there at the table together with this guy from the German FA kind of sitting in between them. Um, which was, uh, I expected it to be two separate team conferences, you know. Um, but when they came in, uh, Klopp's all in, in his suit, you know, Guardiola's in this sort of training gear, uh, which they actually then switched for the match. Klopp was wearing his training gear during the match and Guardiola is wearing this really sharp suit with a lovely little red jumper. I don't know if you saw it, Owen. He looked great. Yeah, he really, he, he likes that look. He yeah. likes the jumper and suit. Combo, yeah. You know, for a May evening, you would have thought, you know, it's quite, it's quite a well, lot. Well, yeah, he, he actually left he had the, the jacket, jacket off. He took the jacket off, uh, folded it, put it in the dugout for quite a lot of the. Uh, but it was raining as well. It wasn't it wasn't the warmest, I have to say. But um, they they come in and Klopp is all gags. Literally from the very first moment, he's just cracking gags. And every time he cracks a gag, Guardiola looks around at Philip Lamb plaintively to see. If Lamb can make, but Lamb is kind of giggling as well, because <laughs> Jurgen Klopp is apparently the funniest man in Germany. <laughs> Nobody has ever been as funny as this guy. It's like he's reinventing public discourse. I'm serious, and I mean it, the jokes along the lines of, you know, uh, he'd say, you know, uh, they're, they're, was it they're kind of arguing. I'm not saying I understood the whole thing either. I think I understood a bit more than Guardiola did. I mean, they're, they were talking about what's happening. Uh, you know, how Guardiola's done uh, and Klopp like sort of leans over to him and he goes the title is enough don't let anyone tell you otherwise and Guardiola kind of stares back at him blankly like what but everyone is laughing <laughs> because this is like you know he means ah uh, he yeah. means we Dortmund we can win the cup 
and you can have the league title and that's plenty you know it's a great it's still a great season <laughs> you know uh, uh someone asked them at one point to to give their impressions of each other right and switch which cop said oh you know he's amazing i've been following him i think a lot longer than he's been following me uh, and he also finds me pretty cool and looks at Guardiola and Guardiola again looks at Lamb <laughs> I'm thinking this is he doesn't I, I mean, sounds like the most awkward social interaction I've ever I've ever come across it wasn't really that awkward I mean Guardiola himself just seemed seemed very tense and sort of he, you know he wasn't didn't seem to be enjoying it at all you know um, and I don't know if Klopp was deliberately trying to seem like this was he was having the most amazing time of his life but that was you could see the contrast between how comfortable one was and how uncomfortable um, the other was and Guardiola had a couple of problems as well because Mandzukic Everyone could see Mandzukic isn't in the squad. He's like, Mandzukic isn't here. It was my decision. And everyone's saying, well, what's happening there? He just says, you know, it's my decision. So it's clear there's been some kind of a a falling out. You know what I mean? Um, and this now indeed appears to be the case that, that Mandzukic is going to be leaving Bayern. I think it would be a great signing for almost any club. Really good Dortmund? <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 deal. The, the point, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Bayern Mandzukic. He's there in this... Uh, in this team, he's been replaced almost from the. He knows he's going to be replaced from the start of the season. Doesn't that he knows that nothing he can do is going to make any difference? They're going to sign Lewandowski. I'm out. That's just the way it's going to be here. It doesn't matter how well I play. He keeps getting taken off in games. He goes into. I think he's in the last match, and he's level with Lewandowski in the top scorer charts, and they take him off. Mm. Because what's the last thing that they want to see happening on that field in that last game? <laughs> very, very last thing. And so, apparently, uh, Manzugic kind of, his relationship with Guardiola became a little bit cool and distant. Uh, and just reading uh, Rafael Honigstein today saying that after the Real Madrid game, Guardiola said to them all, this is my fault. I take upon me the responsibility. Uh, you know, and uh, they were all kind of... Oh, this is so sad. And and one or two of the players were crying because they felt so guilty and, and they thought Guardiola is such a good man. But Manzig was just sitting there grinning and sniggering and going, <laughs> you know, so he actually seemed to find it quite funny that they lost 4-0 and was thinking, you know, good luck to you you guys, you know. I remember scoring the uh, the goal in the, in the final last year for this team, but I guess mm-hmm. I guess you're better now, so I guess you don't need me anymore. Anyway, the match itself wasn't as good as the press conference. No, you didn't seem to enjoy the spectacle. You were there to cast your eye over there, Germany's World Cup team. There was an interesting... I mean, I've seen Manuel Neuer play live, I think, four times now. And that's twice now that he's let in a goal which wasn't given, which was blatantly over the line. There was one, the one against England where Lampard had a, had a shot. This one was even more blatant. It was like a slower-moving ball. It was nil-nil in normal time. A header from Mats Hummels goes over the line. Dante is standing. His standing foot is on the line, and he, so he's kicking the ball from well behind the line with his with his other foot, boots it away, and it's not given. It was, just, it was unbelievable. Um, and obviously, I think if that goal had gone in, that was in the second half. I don't think Bayern Munich would have been able to come back. I mean, you see, you, you look at Guardiola on the sideline, and he's doing all this. Uh, he's incredibly agitated, you know, and he's sometimes literally jumping up and down with anger and screaming at the players. And honestly, I'm looking at it going, I have no idea what he's trying to tell. Them. You know, I've been, I've been watching football for I don't know how long. I have no idea. Yeah, they probably don't know either. I mean, that's not the case a lot of the time. It just, it just, 
I was kind of thinking, what's what's he it's actually a trying to say? Nervous energy. Mm. That's really what probably what it is yeah. because it didn't. It, the two teams were just playing really badly. You know, Byron had the usual thing of quite a, had the ball up, but there wasn't. They weren't doing anything. You know, nothing was. There was no chances. It was terrible. And and here you've got Guardiola sort of going mad, and then afterwards, yeah, he was uh, he was quite uh, he really relieved. I think just really relieved because now, okay, he's won the double. No one can say that's a bad season, even if they lose badly to Madrid. It's still you win the double. That's that's okay. If they lost, could have been a problem. But as it is, he's going to be all right. You were promising us some Roy Keane. Yeah, um, madness, goodness. Well, badness. There was a bit. There was a few things. It seemed like Keane was was uh, helping uh, ITV launch their World Cup coverage, which obviously he's going to be a central part of. Um, and he was asking about a few things this week. The, the thing about Phil Neville, I've got to say, um, because I haven't seen anything about Phil Neville being kept on and Louis van Gaal's staff, although Ryan Giggs will be. Roy Keane talking about uh, Phil Neville said David Moyes brought in Phil Neville. Everyone says it's great to have Phil Neville. I would like to ask, what did Phil bring to the party? And when David Moyes left, why didn't Phil leave with him? Because David brought him in with him. So, interesting. Should Phil have walked with him? I don't know. You would have to ask Phil. But I know what I would have done. But we're all different. So I think we do know what Roy Keane thinks. But I don't know if it's really... Is it fair to, to say that about Phil Neville, do you think? I don't know. I, I have to. Th- I have to admit that when I saw that Phil Neville was staying on after, because I think we were talking about it on the on the day that it happened, or the, yeah, it was it was the, the day that Moyes had officially been terminated, ha- having been left to dangle for the previous eighteen hours or whatever it was, and we were talking about how poor old Phil Neville had backed the wrong horse, you know, and he was mm. going to go down with the ship, but actually he wasn't. He had he had scrambled uh, aboard a lifeboat and was. Was had had uh, hopped aboard the Ryan Giggs tugboat, the good yeah. ship Giggsy, um, the good ship class of '92, maybe. Yeah, um, but I don't know if he's if he's necessarily gonna gonna be part of the new setup. Um, we know what Roy Keane thinks anyway. But there was also uh, Paul Rowan speaking to Keane. Paul Rowan had gone along to this and obviously asked a few questions about Saipan, which I'm I'm not sure is a subject of great interest to English journalists at this stage, but still is to Irish ones. Um, and he was talking. Ask him about this thing that came up. Remember Paul Kimmich did the interview with Mick McCarthy a while ago where he oh, yeah. claimed that Keane had apologised to him for what happened in Saipan. Um, well, Keane says essentially that he did apologise, but not really. He apologised for uh, sorry about what happened with the situation, but not for actually my actions, not for his actions at the time. I have no apologies for defending myself, is what Keane says. Um, uh, Paul Ron says, as a manager, how would you have dealt with a player like yourself in that situation? <laughs> uh, Keane says, it wouldn't have happened if I was a manager. And Ron says, the preparation? Keane, not just the preparation, but criticising or questioning a senior player in front of a group of players. That would never happen. I go back to it again. Um, so he goes on, he goes on, blah, blah, blah. No one seemed to ask Mick why he, why he questioned certain things. If you remember a couple of days into our time in Saipan, we were having barbecues with the media. And you can just sense that <laughs> things are about to spin out of control there. Although, they, it, eventually that conversation stop, it stops quite shortly after. It's like, let's, let's, just, let's not do this again, right? But I don't know. Is it really true that it's... You can, it's unacceptable for manager to criticise or question a senior player yeah, in front of a group be, of players? Yeah, I'd be amazed if Roy Keane hasn't done that as manager. 
astonished if almost every manager hasn't done that. I'd be absolutely amazed. You get the very odd one who's just can keep their counsel, take the player aside afterwards, talk to them then. But it's either for for methodical, well thought out reasons, or just losing from time to time. I would have thought dressing down somebody, even a senior player, in front of the others happens reasonably regularly. Yeah, I mean, I, wasn't it right? Was Ryan Giggs not frequently the, the target for Ferguson? To, he knew he could take it. Is that it? Yeah, yeah that, that's always a. That's that's yeah. kind of a, a quite a common sort of theme. I do remember though reading uh, Henning Berg's book. Actually, ah, right? this is one of your favorite go-to books. Henning Berg talks about uh, something that happened at Manchester United where uh, he balls up in some game or other. I can't remember exactly the details, but anyway, he was Ferguson ripped him out of it in front of everyone and then dropped him. You know, uh, so poor old Henning Berg is is fairly desolate and walking around shamefaced. Every time he looks in someone's eye, he felt as though he had betrayed that man. Um, but a funny thing happens then where uh, where they go and play away against Fiorentina in the Champions League, and Roy Keane passes the ball straight to Gabriel Batistuta, who slams in a goal for Fiorentina in a match that they then go on to lose. Mm-hmm. Not a word is ever said about it ever again. So maybe Alex Ferguson just had the policy that I'm not going to criticize or question Roy Keane in front of the other players. I mean, Berg says, look, I understood this is this is it. You know, Keane was much better than me. You know, he, he won them a lot of games. I was just Henning Berg. Uh, and just write my book. There are different rules for the really good players. So I don't know, but but I, I don't I don't think it's it's the case that senior or you know big players in a group never get criticized by the manager. I I don't think that 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 applies, but maybe that was Keane's experience. Richard Scudamore has been getting criticised in many quarters. Yeah, well, look, the problem with um, the problem with this is that we don't know yet what's we don't know yet what's going to happen. That there was a meeting um, of the Premier League's remuneration committee, which appears to be their highest their highest sort of court. Uh, <laughs> there's like there's like a two man board, and two, one of the men on the board is Richard Scudamore. And then there's the remuneration committee, which is people like Bruce Book and David Gill. Usually they decide how much everyone gets paid, but this is like the only sort of body within the Premier League that can look at this. Essentially what happened was that um, a temporary uh, PA who worked for Richard Scudmore for a couple of months revealed uh, to the Sunday Mirror some of his emails. I'm sure people will have seen this story. Some of his emails, which he sent from his PremierLeague.com address, in which he made uh, or, or laughed along with sexist jokes, made some sexist comments and so on. And people, I'm sure we don't necessarily need to go through the whole detail of it here. But the question is whether or not... And she, and she followed it up then. That This was in last week's Sunday Mirror. And she followed up with another piece in the Sunday Mirror uh, on the Sunday Just Gone in which she talked about her time working for Scudamore, various incidents that happened, the circumstances of how she discovered these emails. Address the, the issue of whether they're private. She said, well, to me, private will be like Yahoo or Gmail. These were his, this was his work email. It was my job to look through his emails and to answer his emails for him. You know, I had access to it. And she claimed, you know, she looked through, she saw these terrible things. She's like, oh, am I really working for this type of man? And looked through and found more and sent her, sent her herself. Anyway, um, the question is whether or not Richard Scudamore should be sacked by the Premier League for expressing uh, embarrassing sexist views in emails to his buddies. Yeah. 
That's the that's the question before the remuneration committee. Um, don't know their answer yet. We don't know their answer yet, Owen. Uh, we don't know, but I'm sure we'll know it pretty soon. I just find a quick word on the the Arsenal's <laughs> on Arsenal's uh, win at the FA Cup. Yes, uh, as feel good as Atletico's win in the league in many ways. Yeah, but to me, I don't know. Is it really? Uh, well, did you not see the, the best, scenes? Yeah, but that's, uh, it seemed a bit. Get over it. I thought the parade was ridiculous. I mean, I know Arsenal haven't won a trophy in a while, but to have a parade like this, um, having beaten Hull in the FA Cup, where would I, would the players every, were acting, particularly Jack Wilshere, I thought was behaving stupidly. Would every FA Cup winning team not have a parade? Even Man United, if they... Mm. The Man United of a couple of years ago, if, if the FA Cup was the only trophy they won in a season, I would have thought they'd go... Parading it around, no? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like what Wilshire was doing. Wilshire was was sort of trying to whip up the crowd and 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 getting you know leading the anti-Tottenham chanting. And I thought, what did Tottenham have to do with this? Why are Arsenal talking about Tottenham? They've just won the FA Cup. Why did that? Why are they doing this? You know, it just it annoyed me so much actually to see it. It's so it, it's just so uh, symptomatic of this kind of. Uh, Stupidly venomous attitude, you know. I mean, I think wasn't there a wasn't there a plane with a banner, and and uh, ha ha Stephen Gerrard banner at the Liverpool Shamrock Rovers game. Apparently so. Yeah, I was away, but I mean, when is this gonna when is this gonna stop? Like, it was, it's clearly not gonna stop. I mean, you've got people like Jack Wilshire actually whipping it up. So I'm sure that Jack Wilshire can probably look forward to. Well, some when is lo- tribalism gonna stop? He, he, in football Jack Wilshire never is the answer. That's not well, yeah, but, well, can, give me examples of, of players of players deliberately stoking it up. You know the feeling's already bad between the fans. Why is a player Gary irresponsibly Neville doing to that? Liverpool that time. In the actual game, when the fans were, the Liverpool fans are right there in front of him, they've just scored a last-minute winner, and he runs to celebrate provocatively in front of them. It's a bit different. At a, at a trophy celebration, I don't know. Has Gary Neville ever done that at a trophy celebration? He may well have. All I'd say is Jack Wilshere, the next time he gets injured, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a light plane flying over the Emirates. Oh, Jack, sorry to hear you're out for six months. Ha ha. Uh, C-O-Y-S. Hashtag. You know what I mean? Hope it's nothing trivial, Jack. You know, the, the the point is that you start it and then the the tit comes back for the tat or the tat for the tit. And then before you know it, the whole thing is spiraling horribly out of control. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. I knew the place. Clough, as he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way you can win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, I've we're, got. We're only, we're only lost four matches. But that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, as he calls me, Ravi. Good luck. Now, that might, that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might, be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want... No, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. 
That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple, so you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We're going to keep going with Arsenal now because we're joined in studio by a presumably very happy Andrew Mangan of Arsblog. Andrew, thanks for calling in. My pleasure. You were at Wembley yesterday? Yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, I should say, yeah. Well, you might have still been there no, <laughs> yesterday too. I know Arsene Wenger talked about it as one of the great days. Uh, the scenes were extraordinary in terms of Arsenal events that you've witnessed. I mean, you could say it's only an FA Cup, but that would be pretty churlish given what the club have been through. What was it? Was it, was it one of the big days? It was, it was incredible, really, because uh, there was a, a bit of disbelief and anguish when Arsenal went 2-0 down. And given how fractious it's been at times, I was kind of a bit worried that that position might re- reflect in the support, but it didn't. It seemed to consolidate people, and there was a real togetherness in the stands, and it was uh, it was amazing to to witness the comeback um, and to win the cup final in a particularly Arsenal way. I think <laughs> you're telling me that a two 0 down there wasn't quite a lot of bad feeling coming from no, the Arsenal fans. The, genuinely, there wasn't. I was expecting it. Um, there was there were people giving out. You know, obviously, when you go 2-0 down in a cup final uh, in eight minutes to Hull, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a reaction. But um, I think that was just real disbelief. There was, you know, people were genuinely behind the team right from one side of the stands to the other. You know, it was, it was really good. What were the scenes like afterwards in terms of the Arsenal support? Was it fairly unbridled? Yeah, I mean, I think there's... There's a weight off now, you know, um, having won something after so long, people forgot what it was like, I think, you know, it's, uh, it really is a great feeling and it seems to have put a lot of the, the bitterness and the unhappiness to bed, you know, um, I think people just enjoyed it for what it was, it was quite a, a pure emotion, I think, of just happiness for, for everybody involved, so. Um, I saw that Arsene Wenger said that it was the most important win of his career. Feel yeah, like that, yeah. yeah well, I mean, on what on what basis could he possibly argue that? I think his job was in the balance. You mean if, that he would have he wouldn't have signed his contract? He would have left. I think so. Yeah, I think if we hadn't won the FA Cup, uh, he he would have stepped away. Well, that seems complete. That seems crazy to me because how can the fact that Arsenal managed to win this game three two as opposed to say, you know, Koscielny doesn't bundle in an equaliser and you lose two one. That, that, that's not that big a difference. I mean, on one hand, you've got, you've got a, 24, a 24 million pound three year contract for Arsene Wenger. Um, and on the other side, you've got him him walking away. But actually, the only thing that's different is Koscielny's managed to bundle in a goal. Well, the difference is we won the cup and, uh, and didn't, uh, as against not winning the cup. You know, I mean, I think he said all along that he would, you know, judge him on what happens this season and whether or not the team has made progress. And you can argue very well that they have made progress in the Premier League. Uh, the, the points total uh, is better. They've, uh, you know, they've been top of the league for a long time uh, this season, even if it didn't work out well. But ultimately, what is a football club or a manager judged on only whether they win things? And that has been the story for quite some time now. So uh, I know what you're saying, but I think... It, it I mean, either, either he's doing a good job or he's not. And does Koscielny yeah, bundling you're in also, a goal Well, change? you're also looking at the psychological impact on the team of losing and maybe the psychological impact on Wenger. He says himself this is an important moment in life. To lose today would be a major setback. Uh, wasn't it the 
League Cup final they won a number of years ago, or they lost, I should say, to, yeah. to Birmingham that seemed to kill them for a couple of seasons. And, th- and this might have been just too much for Wenger to take. Maybe the players then lose belief. I think so, to a certain extent as well. And, and fans would have lost belief. If you lose a cup final, perhaps against a Chelsea or Manchester City or Liverpool, somebody like that in a close game, you can argue, you know, okay, maybe. But when if you've lost... A cup final against Hull City, with all due respect, uh, uh, following a cup final loss against Birmingham. You know, people will really start to question whether or not you're the man to take the team over the line again. And I think that was the situation. I'm delighted for him that he he did it because I think he's worked extremely hard. Uh, He's not perfect by any means and he's made some bad decisions, but... I think everything he's done or tried to do has been for the benefit of the club. Um, so from that point of view, I think it was great. I'm delighted for him too because he's had to put up with a lot of... Um, I was about to say he's had to put up with a lot of crap, you know, and Mourinho especially taunting him it was it was a really low moment uh, for me. Although, on the other hand, he has been paid an awful lot of money at the same time. So there's swings and roundabouts for Arsene Wenger. But would winning the cup in its own way not have been the best way for him to call it a day? He can ride off into the sunset with his... With his yeah, trip. I mean, there was a time this season where I thought that might well happen, that um, the weight of everything that was going on, all that criticism, not just from outside, but from inside, from fans who had lost faith, who, who may still not want him to continue, I thought it would be, at one point, what he might do, that he could win the Cup, secure Champions League qualification, and, and walk away knowing that uh, he's left the club... A, with a trophy after a long time, but B, in, in fantastic shape to, to progress and to move forward because the infrastructure has completely changed. There's a new stadium. There's new commercial deals in place now, which guarantee a lot of money every year. Uh, there's money in the bank. So really, it would have been the ideal job for somebody to come in and, and, uh, and take over. So if he'd felt like that, um, it wouldn't have surprised me a great deal. I think he does want to stay, and I think he will sign the new contract. But again, I think there was something to that. Are there foundations there, Andrew, for a sustained challenge at the league? Because they've been close to it on a couple of occasions. It looked at one point this year that that, that they might be, but they, they fell away. Is the money going to be spent on players? And has Wenger shown in recent seasons that he's... Uh, savvy enough to actually spend the money in the correct areas and to get the right guys to actually win the league title again for us. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the infrastructure is there and the foundations are there and the platform is there in terms of the squad, which I think is pretty good overall. They've got some really exciting young players and they've got well, good experience. Who are the players who you think are, are really good? I mean, I'd say Ramsey, definitely. Ramsey, Wilshire, I think. Um, Probably I there are some question Chamberlain marks. Oxley Chamberlain. Walcott, um, for all his flaws, is still a very effective player. Um, I think if they improve in key areas um, up front and at the back a bit as well, and maybe uh, somebody a bit younger in midfield to to do the anchoring job that Arteta and Flamini talking about Milner. I, I don't really understand why anyone is talking about James really? Milner going to Arsenal. Well, I just don't see where he fits into the team. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty useful player. I, I think, think so, but I mean, is he the kind of player that Arsenal need? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I what about Cazorla? What do you make of Cazorla? I think he's brilliant i love watching him he's just such a wonderful two-footed player he worked really hard uh, i know aaron ramsey got man of the match on saturday at wembley but i would have given it to Cazorla, to be honest there was a thing i read on uh, friday where uh, philip lamb had done an interview where he was talking about how awesome pep guardiola was you know because obviously guardiola was under a bit of pressure and mm. uh, he said this guy's amazing you know and he was explaining <clears throat> the way in which guardiola for every game 
comes up with a you know a detailed plan for the game and then explains like they were they were trying to get him to they were trying to invite him to kind of criticize Guardiola by saying oh are you not a bit annoyed that you're being you know shunted around from midfield to right back and it's you know how can you find a rhythm in, in those circumstances and Lamb said well no because he uh, he explains to me each time why exactly why I'm playing where I am so for instance against Arsenal. I was playing, he said, Philip, you're going to play right back today. The reason is that you're going to be up against Cazorla, which means you're going to have a lot of space to attack. Also, because Cazorla can't counterattack, you don't have to worry about anything that's going on behind you. <laughs> uh, so I was kind of reading that thinking, well, what exactly is this Cazorla meant to be doing out there? Well, apparently he's, no, he's, no, he's nothing defensively and he's no threat offensively either, according to Pep Guardiola. I don't know about that. I think he's uh, he had a very good first season at Arsenal and he was not quite as good this time around, but uh, he scored a great goal in the FA Cup final on a big day. He pulled out a, a big goal for Arsenal. And, you know, he is being played somewhat out of position, I think. He, he strikes me more as a, a central player, a number 10. Um, and it was interesting, you mentioned that Bayern game because uh, Arsenal Wenger changed it around, didn't he? He put Ozil on the left-hand side mm. and that was even worse. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like Cazorla. You know, I think he's he's not going to be one of the, the, the best players in the world ever. But um, if you watch him, he's just, just lovely to watch. I don't know if you hung around London for the parade of the trophy or not, Andrew, but uh, Jack Wilshere there was, was being his usual uh, forthright self. I like Jack Wilshere, i got to say. Uh, what do we think of Tottenham? Shit. What do we think of shit? Tottenham was his chant. Uh, are we being a bit po-faced by... You know, um, being judgmental about this, you probably shouldn't really be stoking up. What? What is it? I don't. Maybe an increasingly fractious rivalry between these two clubs. It's a it's a fairly famous chant. You hear it at every game you go to, and uh, I think maybe you got carried a little bit carried away. But For you players know, players to do that though. Yeah, you know, I think is it not the danger though that everything becomes too vanilla? In football, yeah. you know, and, I, and well, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to the old days, and I can't remember, you know, George Graham or Frank McClintock, any of the great names from the Arsenal past, you know, uh, saying, uh, you know, shouting this into a microphone. Well, you know, I, I don't suppose there were a million cameras at the previous parade, so I'm pretty sure that there was some, uh, some but is, baiting. Well, is that not the point, though, in a way that that uh, because. Something like that, which which maybe previously could have happened, you know, with only the people in earshot knowing that it happened and the people that they told. Now everybody sees it, and it's it's kind of it's irresponsible, in my opinion, for a player to stoke up uh, to stoke up the sort of rivalry between fans. I mean, you must you must get quite a lot of this online, surely. I mean, as as a sort of a Arsenal linked voice, yeah. But speak. I can just ignore it, and I don't care really. But uh, I mean, I don't uh, do much of that baiting unless you're 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 writing about something in particular. I, I don't really see that it's a it's a huge issue to be honest. I, I thought it was really player, funny. You'd be criticizing a player for well, the c- players are constantly criticizing f- criticized for not understanding their club and not um, feeling the club the way the supporters do. Mm. Yeah, but you know, right I mean, Sh- Wojciech Chesney's got got big form for this as well. He's always having digs at Tottenham on, on his sort of social media, which I'm thinking. But that's all right, doesn't it? Well, I don't understand it. Like, what is he? Is he saying he was an Arsenal fan that he since he grew? I think he's pandering. He's pandering to to Arsenal fans in a way which I consider to be dishonest and creating bad feeling where there's no reason for bad feeling to exist. I mean, I think it's okay for fans to to. I mean, you, you know, fans are going to chant all kinds of abusive stuff, but players probably shouldn't be 
leading the way, should they? Maybe not, but, you know, in the circumstances where it happened and, you know, after all those years without a trophy, um, yeah, I, I, I'm finding it very hard to get bent out of shape by again, to be honest. Andrew, you've got uh, a book which I know is out this week. It's called Together, the Story of Arsenal's Unbeaten Season. And yeah. uh, it's, it's nice timing, I guess, for you and for the book that they're back. Uh, people want to read about their success. Yeah, <laughs> it's it not was, a millstone. It's all a bit uh, nerve-wracking there for a while, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, last Thursday was the 10-year anniversary to the day that they, they went the season unbeaten. They beat Leicester City. And uh, the book is, uh, it looks back at the, the whole of that season from the previous summer all the way through to, to May where Arsenal won the league at White Hart Lane and celebrated on the pitch at White Hart Lane, actually, Ken. Mm. So, um, you know, there might have been a bit of goading and baiting going on back then, too. So, uh, and it's a, it's a hardback, full-color, glossy. So responsible. Yeah, very irresponsible, but they loved it, and so did the Arsenal fans. So, yeah, uh, yeah so we're doing. We we have it out. It'll be available through through Ars blog from tomorrow. It's funny when Arsenal went through that season. I, I don't think I personally appreciated the enormity of what they had done at the time because they were so good. They were so consistent. I kind of thought, oh, yeah, they won a the league. They didn't. They didn't lose any games. That's fine. But really, it's about winning the league the next year and going and winning a Champions League and these kind of things. It's only possibly in the year since that. I've come to understand it's absolutely ridiculous to go through a league season and somehow have the consistency yeah. not to lose a single game in it. Yeah, it's uh, it was some achievement. It really was. You know, you kind of that team was so good that it didn't seem that special. Um, but when you look back at how they did it as well, particularly when they clinched the league with four games to go, um, there's a bit in the book where Thierry Henry talks about how uh, he at the time, didn't really think anything more about uh, the season than winning the league. And once they'd won the league, that was it. It was like, okay, we've done what we needed to do. Um, but said, he said afterwards that had they not gone unbeaten, it would have really, you know, he'd have really uh, been upset by that. You know, mm. and the, the the first game after the winning the league at White Hart Lane was a nil-nil against Birmingham. And it was just a chore and endurance, you know, to mm. have to, when you win it and you're that high, to then go and just try keep doing it, and I think there was a couple of draws in those last games. They nearly lost at Portsmouth. Was that a, was that not the season also the seven nil against Everton, or was that the, a different season? That was a different season. Right. That was a different season. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks back at everything. So we've got match reports, and there's pictures and illustrations. We've got some exclusive stuff from the club photographers, and uh, yeah. Sounds great. There's a Dublin launch this Wednesday? Yeah, we're going to be in the Mercantile uh, from 6.30 on Wednesday night, so everyone's more than welcome to come along. Um, we'll have the books there, and uh, you get a free pack of postcards with the book as well. Sounds so great. There you go. Listen, Andrew Mangan, Ars Blog, thanks so much. My pleasure. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Sounds kind of like you're not totally convinced about Cazorla. You're you're going more with Philippe Lamb's critique or Pep well, Guardiola's critique. Yeah. critique. Uh, look, I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have made this criticism of Cazorla. Yeah. But you know, I'm not the uh, incredibly large-brained, uh, twenty million euro a year coaching impresario who spends all his time watching these guys' of videos. I mean, plus you'd have to be there for the entire conversation that. 
Lamb had with uh, with Guardiola because Orla like, was pretty cutting. It does sound pretty cutting. But I mean, it was, but, but, but that could be in the overall context of how Arsenal set up, and maybe Casorla is exposed in that way. I don't know. It could mm. be different if Casorla was in the middle of a, a slightly more solid, compact team. Maybe Casorla is like he himself. is no counterattacker, so you don't need to worry about what's going on behind you. He uh, also can't defend. He talked then about the Man United game as well. He said, "Oh, you're you're going to be on the right again today, Philippe," um, but. They won't put any pressure on us when we've got the ball. So when we do, you move into central midfield, okay? There's a good lad. Yeah, I mean, the point of what Lam was saying was not to slam these Premier League teams and no. individual players, but rather to illustrate how thorough Guardiola is or how he thinks the game through in advance so that the player understands why it is he's being asked to do what he's being asked to do in the game. You know, it just had the side effect of <laughs> insulting Casorla. Uh, it sounds like Lam is enjoying it. Lamb, well, he was making the point that he is enjoying it. Yeah. Well, it seems like Guardiola, he's one of the players that Guardiola has pinned a lot of hopes on. So yeah. he, he clearly trusts well, that he, he can... Well, he better, you know. They're, they're backing yeah. each other up uh, big yeah. time. I don't know if everyone is enjoying I mean, clearly Mandzukic is. And I don't know if Ribery is necessarily that keen. I mean, Ribery had a bit of a pop at Guardiola. He, he, you know, saying about the rotation. Oh, we're being rotated. Well, some of us are more used to rotation than others. Me, I need games. I need games all the time. And, you know... It sounds like a small thing, but it's not really a small thing. You know, I mean, he's saying, essentially, I don't agree with what this guy's doing. And he's one of the main players in the team. So, you know, when you've got that sort of attitude coming at you from one of your big players, I don't think Guardiola really, I don't think he's necessarily always dealt with it very well. Jonathan Wilson joins us now to talk about Louis van Gaal's appointment, confirmed now as Manchester United manager once his involvement ends with Holland in the World Cup. Jonathan, are you looking forward to van Gaal telling you and all the other working football journalists in the UK that, all your questions are stupid. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, no, I think it's going to be great fun from a journalistic point of view. Uh, I mean, you're going to have situations where Jason Mourinho does a press conference at 10 o'clock on a Friday morning and everybody thinks they've got a great line, they've got the back page. And an hour later, Van Hal does his press conference at Carrington and it turns out that, that what looked like a great Mourinho story has been relegated to the inside because Van Hal does do extraordinary things in press conferences. He is very outspoken. Um, so yeah, it should be great fun. But I mean, beyond that, I think he's a very, very good coach. So I think it's a, it's a good appointment, both in terms of a soap opera of the Premier League and in terms of of the football quality. Of the yeah, Premier League. just on the soap opera element, first of all, the uh, Mourinho certainly the first incarnation of Mourinho. He there was a sense that he was maybe playing to the media a certain a certain amount and seemed to enjoy the relationship. It, has there ever been that with Van Hal, or does he just have genuine disdain for? journalist does he just uh, intellectually football uh, intellectually speaking with regards to football does he just feel that nobody who writes about football or talks about it knows anything about it I'm not sure it's as general as that I mean I I think possibly that's true of of certain individual journalists I I think he just has a very clear idea in his head of what football should be and what he's doing and he he expresses that very bluntly Um, I think in in some ways he's very typically Dutch in that regard he he doesn't mind putting those at a joint to to put across his point of view and do you think his intellectual arrogance is justified when you look at uh, what his teams actually produce in the field? I mean, how, what gives him the right to uh, to act as though he knows everything? I think he's had an, an extraordinary effect on on global football over the last uh, what thirty, what twenty five years. Uh, what he did with Ajax in the early nineties is astonishing. I mean, to take a team with such limited resources, such a young team, and win the Champions League with them and get to other finals is is an astonishing achievement. I think you can make a case that he and Marcelo Bielsa around the early 90s essentially shaped what modern football is with their reinterpretation of total football. 
Uh, I guess the criticism of him is that in the last decade or so, his his trophy haul is is rather less than it than it had been before, and maybe rather less than it ought to have been. But at the same time, he's clearly been a, a key figure in laying the foundations for the great Barcelona team of the last five years, and then of laying the foundations for for the Bayern team we're seeing now. And alongside that, he's won the title with AZ Alkmaar again with next to no resources. So. Perhaps the trophies are, or the lack of trophies is, is, is a question mark. But in, in terms of his, his influence, I, I think he's been hugely significant. Yeah. Now, Ryan Giggs has retired as a player. Is another announcement that's happened today. So his playing career finally over. Who knows whether or not Louvenal suggested to him that if he was going to work as his assistant, which he is, maybe it would be a good idea if he could focus on being a coach and, and not uh, be thinking about being a player as well. Now... Uh, I don't know whether I imagine Van Gaal and Giggs don't have any uh, prior existing relationship. All we uh, can go on is the brief period that Ryan Giggs is a manager in which he outlined his philosophy. He said, it's going to be Manchester United's philosophy. Uh, I want the players to play with passion, tempo, be brave, imagination, all the things I expect of a Manchester United player, work hard, but most of all, enjoy it. How um, closely do you think that dovetails with, the, um, with what we know of the philosophy of Louis Van Gaal? Well, I think everything apart from enjoy it Van Hall would agree with. Uh, I think he demands discipline. Um, well, in fact, he does demand discipline. If you read, uh, the, I think it's 1995, he, he uh, co-wrote a book with two Dutch journalists explaining his method, the Alex methods, and he devotes an extraordinary amount of space in that book to to just discipline, the importance of players doing things together, eating together, um, so basically getting to trust one another. Uh, and there's a story about him. Um, for grabbing, I think grabbing Luca Toni by the throat at Bayern because he was slouching while he was eating. So eating properly and you know, erectly with your teammates is a big thing. And there's various trust exercises he he, he did at um, uh, at Ajax that involved players being blindfolded. So I assume that kind of thing. I don't know if he's still using those same specific techniques, but certainly I think there will be exercises to, to encourage mutual trust, um, which might be different to what United have, have experienced in the past. I think the big, the big question mark is, is more about the, the playing style. The Van Gaal model of football is, is not the same as, as United has been for the last you know, 20, 30 years. But if you think of a, the typical United way of playing, it's, it's you know, 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 or 4-3-1, but getting the ball wide to wingers, getting crosses into the box... Um, and, and they've always all, you know, all good United teams in the last well, I guess even the last half century maybe beyond have had good wingers uh, now Van Gaal's teams have wingers but they, they behave in a slightly different way you think of Robin always cutting inside Rivery cutting inside they're not players who beat their man on the outside and get crosses in so I mean that's, that's the way of modern football because Van Gaal has shaped modern football so it, it will be slightly different um, and I think the mechanical nature of, of a lot of Van Gaal's coaching methods the way he he sort of divides the pitch into uh, interlocking triangles. Um, that, I think, is probably different to what United do. I don't think it's radically unusual, but it, it, it was. I think the, the repetitiveness of the training to, to grasp those mechanics possibly will create some friction at first. But he's a new coach, of course there's friction. Does Wayne Rooney fit into this style of play, do you think? Um, well, yeah, but he probably does because if the, the big, the big philosophical sticking point when Van Gaal took over Ajax was his use of the number ten. Uh, that he liked a very hard-working number ten, somebody who dropped back in the midfield, somebody who made tackles, somebody who, who won the ball. He perhaps wasn't that. Um, his goals return wasn't that important. So if you think of sort of old-school Rooney as a player who, who drops off a number nine, he, he does form that link to midfield. He is prepared to do the defensive work. 
then if, if that Rooney is the Rooney that turns up next season, then I think it works perfectly. The problem is this issue that seems to have dogged Rooney for the last sort of four or five years. It, this part of his ego seems to demand he's the, 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 the main front man and scores goals. And that, I think, has led to an awkwardness in his relationship with Robin Van Persie. Van Gaal clearly has an existing relationship with Van Persie and, and clearly rates him as a player. Um, so you assume that Van Persie will, will remain the, the um, first choice number nine. So I think Rooney will have to adapt. Yeah, and, and Rooney might be calling Robin van Persie skipper as well, if the reports are to be believed. Do you think he's going to enjoy that? Probably not, but I, I think it's a logical thing that um, yeah, Van Gaal and Van Persie clearly trust each other. Van Persie's work with the national side of the Netherlands clearly shows he he um, can act as Van Gaal's mouthpiece on the pitch. He does that for the national team. Why, why wouldn't you want that to, to happen with, with the club team as well? And in a, in a new dressing room, it's very useful, I think, for Van Gaal to have a, uh, a face that he trusts and that he knows will, will, will form that liaison. He says that another fundamental aspect of the way that his teams play is that the players in midfield are all, have to be thinkers. And he cites the examples of Guardiola uh, and Xavi. These are the type of players that he likes to see in there. Um, Magistriano may be a, bit, a little bit short in that department. I mean, Michael Carrick is obviously a, a thinking type of player, but he's also... A, pretty senior player at this stage um, what do you think might be happening in that area of the team? I think in some ways that, that's not, I mean I, I agree with the general point that United aren't blessed with players like that but I kind of think that's not really that much of an issue because we're probably going to replace most of the midfield anyway so they now replace them with, with players that Van Gaal thinks fits his system. I think Kroos really seems like, like the obvious one for them to go for here. I mean, uh, this, this is a difficult one to, to read, really, Jonathan, because nobody knows ultimately what Tony Kroos really wants. But I have to say that I know people make the argument that, well, Bayern Munich are clearly a, a much better team than Manchester United. Why would he want to go there? If I'm Tony Kroos, I'm looking around at players in the Bayern team getting paid a lot more than I am. I'm thinking to myself, well, actually, the idea of being the key man in the Manchester United midfield rather appeals to me uh, in the circumstances, especially if I can now work with uh, with a manager who who I worked well with before in Louis van Gaal. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. and I think there may even be, be a case, I, mean, I don't know enough about Tony Kroos to know if this is true, but I think for certain players, there's a sort of sense of, well, well I've done that. Do I just want to spend the rest of my, my career doing that again, just winning Bundesliga titles? He, he may quite relish a challenge going somewhere else, and particularly somewhere where if if yeah, say Tony Cross arrives in the summer and United win the league next year, or you know, if there's a significant improvement, he becomes the main man in that. He perhaps gets the credit that he hasn't quite got it at Bayern because there's so many other senior players in that team. Um, I think the other player that, that United have been linked with recently, who does does fit the Van Gaal model uh, very well, is Ander Herrera, who of course played under Bielsa and did very well under Bielsa uh, at Athletic at Bilbao. Um, and, and given the similarities, I mean, they're not, not identical, but the similarities in thinking between Bielsa and Van Gaal, I, you know, I, I see that link perhaps being resurrected, and I think that makes tactical sense. Just lastly, Jonathan, if Holland go and win the World Cup this summer, uh, going one better than they did last time around, this will suddenly be seen as a stroke of absolute genius by Manchester United. Have they got a, a good chance, do you think? No. <laughs> I, and I, I think Van Gaal knows that, and I... I I mean, certainly one of the one of the things that, that I heard when Van Gaal was very strongly with Tottenham was that he was very, very keen to get a deal done with the club side before the World Cup, just in case they go out in the group stage. Does it, that, does it create the potential for a kind of lame duck situation? He lamely quacks into the job, having led on to a group stage exit. They are in quite a tough group. Well, in a tough group, but, I mean, he's got the excuse that, that A, they're in a tough group, and B, it's a very, very young side. So 
if they play three disastrous games and you know I don't know draw against Australia and get beaten three 0 by Spain and two 0 by Chile, then maybe yeah maybe that does affect his reputation. But at the same time, he could win the World Cup and yeah the opening day of the season they they get beaten by Crystal Palace and the next day of the season they only draw away at Everton or something and you're questioning him anyway. So I think the first month of the season will be far more important in, in, in terms of establishing what base he begins from and what happens during the World Cup. Jonathan, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Do you share Jonathan's um, pessimism about Holland's World Cup chances? The group uh, they have is, isn't it Spain, Chile and Australia? Mm. So they've got to get out of that first of all, which is... Well, it's about beating Chile because yeah. they'll definitely beat Australia, but so will everyone else. Um, so it's really about beating Chile and I'm not sure. I mean, you just look at the Holland team. And it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's not terrible, but the squad is not is not strong. I mean, you've got Van Persie, Robin, Snyder, you know, the same guys who've been there for 10 years. Yeah, I guess wasn't Snyder coming into the last World Cup on the back of his glory year with yeah. Inter? And he had, a, he had a great World Cup. I mean, he scored five goals. Oh, but that's what I'm saying. He was well. superb. He was, but there's a, there's so a confidence no player right, a, right, yeah, right at as high as... Co- have right, a better yeah. World Cup this time around. I think, he, you know, I still think he could be good. You know, I mean, it's 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 the three of them, really. There's Dirk, Dirk Kout is still there, you know? Um, Van der Vaart's still there um, but when you look at the defence uh, and the midfield players and they lost Kevin Stroutman the the Roma player he did his crusade he was a big loss to them and there really just is not a lot of uh, talent I mean it's at the moment the Belgians are looking at it going this is unbelievable how much better than them we are now it's just <laughs> hilarious you know? and not just one of these oh you know by dint of sheer hard work and dedication we've managed to get better than Holland yeah. we just have Literally ten, ten better players. <laughs> ten, be- ten uh, much better players than than Holland mm-hmm. do. All right, we'll have a listen to our first show out today. Ushi McConville and Anthony Moyles on that one. Uh, looking back at the opening weekend of the football championship, particularly the Tyrone um, down, down game. game. I'd almost forgotten that, even though it was an absolute cracker. Thanks for that. Uh, don't forget, you can also listen to us on our page on IrishTimes.com forward slash Second Captains on iTunes. You can listen on the Stitcher app if you're on Android. The Podcast Republic app. Uh, the Podcast Republic app is probably the best one. Uh, podcast, sorry, I'm phrasing that incorrectly. The Podcast Republic app. If you know what I mean. <laughs> it's an app called so Podcast Republic. That's there you go. much better. Email that's us at secondcaptains.irishtimes.com and finally, if you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at, at secondcaptains there. So we're at secondcaptains. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, uh, thanks, guys. Sorry for ballsing up the end of the program there, everybody, <laughs> but hope you enjoy the rest of it. Take care. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.